Welcome back to the Beyond a Declaration, What Rights Can Do podcast, dedicated to humanizing rather than just politicizing human rights. Today we're talking about the right to liberty, to life and security of the person. And my guest today is someone that I've wanted to have a conversation with for a very long time, uh, Ms. Danele Maseko. This podcast is brought to you by the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation and Bubblegum Club. However, the opinions and views expressed by the speakers do not necessarily reflect those of these organizations. Thank you so much, my dearest, and thank you so much for your team for having me. It's such an honor. And uh, honestly speaking, I don't think I'm famous. Uh, <laughs> uh, but thank you. Thank you for the platform. And thank you. Um... No, let me just let our, our listeners know. So Daniela is a human rights advocate. Um, and now she's the CEO of the Tulani Maseko Foundation. And this podcast is just, this episode is going to be a little bit different to the other ones it's going to be a little bit more of storytelling, getting to know you as a person and your work and uh, yeah, more of an intimate conversation. I guess where I want to start is that our focus, you know, for this episode is to really understand what we mean when we talk about the right to life, the right to liberty and the right to the security of the person. Uh, Daniela, you are based in Eswatini one of the last absolute monarchs in the world. A lot of people don't have that experience. They don't know what it's like to live in an absolute monarchy. So I guess, um, you know, where I'd like to start is when you hear that the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is uh, central to this podcast, declares that everyone shall have the right to life liberty and security of the person what's the first thing that comes to mind for you what do you think of first when you hear those words that declaration that was made 75 years ago now um thank you so much for that question and i think it's very fundamental for me to try and answer that question in the context of um swaziland i prefer to call it um Swaziland because um, Tulani had just uh, taken a legal uh, challenge to the courts in Swaziland because uh, as the nation or as citizens of Swaziland, we were not consulted on the name change. So um, someone in power, with power, just woke up on his birthday and decided to change the name. So, of course, it is our right as ordinary citizens to have power and to speak out uh, on any issue. So we prefer to call it Swaziland because we're not consulted on the name change. Let's just pause there, Daniela, because that's quite a lot. And also we are assuming that our listeners know who Tulani is. Uh, so when you say yeah. Tulani, uh, who do you mean? Um, Tulani Masego. First and foremost was my late husband, but most importantly, Tulani Masego was a human rights activist, a human rights lawyer, but he was also a prisoner of conscience. Um, Whilst doing his activist, his work, and of course, in an absolute monarch kind of setup, there are certain violations that, you know, the ordinary citizen 
do not realize that they're being violated. For instance, I speak of the name change. In Swaziland, we have about 55 constituencies. Now, we do not have political parties. Political parties are banned. So in the light of that, you would assume that parliament as the legal entity that um, does laws was supposed to be consulted by the, the powers that be to maybe tell them to say, here is a thought. So parliament as the body that does laws was not consulted and they did not debate anything or nothing was sent maybe in the form of a referendum or in a form of whatever, legally speaking. So that right to choose if we still want to be named Swaziland or Eswatini was taken also from us. Um, like today I'm called Danele, tomorrow I'm called Zanele. You know, these two things have a different meaning. So as a parent, I think you need to consult and seek, you know, my thought as to now I'm changing your name into Zanele, not Danele. These are the reasons. Do you agree? Let's sit and talk on a round table. So that right was taken away from us as citizens and hence Tulani legally understanding the legal framework of Swaziland said, let us challenge this and let's seek advice from the courts if this was done following the constitution, if this was right. But unfortunately, um, he couldn't see that case. Uh, he couldn't get a date into the courts. So that case is still hanging on. Um, you know, the reason why uh, you've been on my mind is because um, this year began with quite the shock, uh, the loss of your husband. When we were chatting earlier, you asked me, how do I know you? Uh, I first knew of your husband because I too clocked at the Constitutional Court of South Africa. I didn't clock at the same time as your husband. I never met your husband, but we part of that same community so every time your husband ran into some difficulties and I'll join you in calling it Swaziland, um, the alumni of the court would send emails uh, trying to figure out what we could do to support him. So I knew the name, I knew the work that he was doing. And uh, perhaps just to, to ground this conversation, um, give us a bit of background of how you came into this work of being a human rights activist and also maybe set the scene for people who don't know what Swaziland is like. What is it like for an average person living in Swaziland as it relates to life, as it relates to liberty, and as it relates to security of the person? What is life like there? Um, thank you for that question. But let me maybe frame it in this way. Swaziland is a beautiful country in terms of the landscape, the people, but Swaziland is Africa's last absolute monarch. That's number one. Number two, it being the last absolute monarch, now the king assumes all power, be it legislative, be it the judiciary, be it executive, which then means he has the power to appoint anyone in any office with or without experience. But number three, 
he is an absolute monarch. He has 16 wives, 18. Um, he is involved in everything and anything that pertains to the country. Political parties are banned. Voices of dissent are seen as terrorists. So the civic space in Swaziland has shrunk in the truest sense. We are told we gained our independence in 1968, um, but the king sat or ascended onto the throne in 1986, which is exactly 13 year, 37 years ago. And then you ask me today, you are in South Africa, a democratic state. Um, in 2023, we still do not have political parties Political parties are banned, political prisoners. We have a lot of political prisoners. We, had a, we have a lot of exiles. Um, it's just a terrible country in terms of um, our political uh, or democratic dispensation. So I would want to frame it like that. But also you asked me a critical question to say, how then did I start or how then did I get involved um, into this uh, human rights work or human rights activism? In uh, 2009, Tulani, there was a series of bombs. Now, those series of bombs comes from people being unhappy uh, with the status quo. So Tulani is now saying, um, Your Majesty the King, we seek your audience. This uh, continuing bombings are a result of you not wanting to listen and sit down with the ordinary citizen. Because in Swaziland, we are not citizens, we are subjects. So Tulani then, you know, he spoke openly to say, Your Majesty, that bridge was bombed because people wanted your attention. And that bridge was bombed by freedom fighters. So Tulani was then charged uh, with sedition and with the, there's a certain law that is called uh, Sedition Act in Swaziland of 1938, I think. So he was charged under that law, and then he was taken into prison. Him being taken into prison, of course, we were then together. I think our relationship was plus minus a year, and I was pregnant when he was taken into prison. So I think with the anxiety, and I was experiencing my first trimester, I lost that child. So, of course, he was in prison for about a month and then he was given bail. That, to me, took its toll on my body and it shook me. And hence, I lost my baby. So, him being released, we have an honest discussion to say, but really, what is human rights? He says to me, it's bigger than anyone. Human rights are bigger than all of us. So he was clear to say, with him, it's a conviction. It's not even a professional um, job. It's a conviction. Human rights are fundamental. You have a right to life. You have a right. So he, he explained this notion of human rights to me. And I got to understand for him merely speaking out and expressing himself, he now finds himself in prison. So that is when my activism started in 2009, when he was arrested um, between June and, and, and July. And then um, despite those arrests and despite 
the difficulties that your your family experienced due to this activism you kept on going you know uh you didn't give up on the cause and as a family you've now paid the ultimate price in that tulani is no longer here can you just give me a bit of what happened uh why is tulani no longer with us um yeah if you could just give us a bit of background as to what led to the moment of his death because he's been doing this since 2009 why is it that in 2023 all of a sudden he's no longer here you know what did he do that escalated things that led to him no longer being here to him being essentially murdered it it, it didn't actually even start tulani's activism didn't even start in 2009 it started way back in the early 1990s when he was still a student activist in the university of swaziland and of course the winds of change were also blowing uh, you know with south africa transitioning into you know 1994 so there was a lot within the youth uh, of that time so tulani is also the kind of breed that kind of 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 young activist but he's arrested in 2009 is given bail yes but the i think the ticking moment or the break for me was when he was then also arrested in 2015 for writing an article critical of the lack of independence within the judiciary of Swaziland and he was mostly critical of the conduct of the then chief justice um Michael Ramodipedi he's now late so he also wrote an article so he was then taken into prison and charged with contempt of court sentenced to 2 years in prison without an option of a fine that for me was my breaking moment to say i have had enough with the system i visit tulani in prison in 2015 he's clear to me that he has done no wrong and hence he, seek, he doesn't seek a bail so he says to me what was very striking he says you know my dear my love he would call me sweetie prison is very lonely in prison you do not have a voice you can't speak out so the only voice i now have in prison is you and the only legit and powerful voice that i need from this lonely four corners of this prison wall is you you take on the fight go and speak to any podium anywhere in the world about the violations that continue to happen in this country use my case as your benchmark and of course he went through a sham trial a three month trial and of course our government uses propaganda security agencies were all over following us you know sometimes you were gagged um, I, i was not allowed to go into court i was frustrated even when i went to visit him in prison we now had a three year old boy there were frustrations he was put into solitary confinement we couldn't see him for a month because he continued to even write in his prison and we would sneak out that those articles publish those articles i would continue to go anywhere um i mean i also got the opportunity to go to geneva at the un to also talk about um tulani's incarceration we fought and there was a lot of advocacy together with different um international organization uh southern africa uh, human rights defenders network came on board your amnesty international because they realized 
with my speaking out, it then gave them the idea that, you know what, she's not, she's not just a loud mouth, something is wrong. So I then started speaking out. Unfortunately, he was just released 2016. And um, he then continued representing pro-democracy activists. And in 2021, after COVID, there was a series of uh, protests. Uh, I mean, then the, the, the powers that be unleashed the security agencies, the military on people. People were shot, people were killed, people were left with bullets in their bodies. So Tulani, being the human rights lawyer that he was, he wanted accountability for also those atrocities of the 2021 massacre. He went to court to try and seek redress and to ask government to be accountable for these killings. And of course, during that time, the 2021-2022, then a group of civil society actors, um, banned political parties, came together to say, we need to form this loose network. And then they named it the Multi-Stakeholder Forum, for which they asked Tulani to chair and lead. Of course, with that forum, together with his colleagues inside the country, they started mobilizing, they started um, asking for help, advocacy, they started um, moving towards the Sadak Troika to ask for interventions, to seek for dialogue. And Tulani was a peace-loving, kind of humble man, so he never thought of using the gun as a weapon. He always said, Your Majesty, we ask that we sit on a round table as equals, as deserving citizens of the Kingdom of Swaziland for us to forge a way forward. Because he believed as Swazis, we had a right in the issues of our governance in the country. Hence, he was engaging different stakeholders in the fact that Swaziland needs to have a multi-party dispensation where people can decide on their prime minister, where people can decide who holds power, where people can decide who they want in those offices. And yet um, that was met with horrible um, experience that on the 21st of January, it was about 3 p.m. His Majesty the King sat on the podium, stood on the podium, and he was very present. He was very clear to say anyone who speaks out, any dissenting voice, he has hired people to deal with those voices. Seven hours after that, exactly 10.15, we were sitting with my two young sons, the first one, 11 years old, the younger one, eight years old. We were watching a beautiful soccer match between Mamelodi Sundowns and Kaiser Chiefs. Of course, me having boys and my husband, you know, being a bigger supporter of Kaiser Chiefs and my elder son, a Mamelodi Sundowns fan, we were watching TV. And... Uh, the, the window behind us was, um, the curtains were open, but the lace curtain was on. It was a very hot, um, beautiful Saturday evening. And um, of course, Tulani had listened to the speech um, from the throne by His Majesty the King. 
And she did allude to the fact that, you know, the body language, the tone is quite different. It's quite rough. Uh, but of course, Tulani being the humble, um, soft-spoken uh, lawyer said, whatever that comes, he, he would be ready to deal with. Um, I think it was around 10.15 when I realized the shadow by the window. And when I tried to give it a closer look, I realized a tall man carrying a large gun pointed straight into Tulani's direction. When I wanted to warn Tulani, I was too late. The gunman realized that I had seen him and he fired gunshots. Gave Tulani one. Right into the head. His head was opened. His skull was scattered all over the room. And then he gave him two shots right through the heart. He was cold immediately. Let's pause there. Uh, because that is quite unimaginable. And I must say... Um, from where I was at that time, um, I definitely sent, you know, my condolences, my prayers your way. Uh, because as you said, we all knew Tulani as Tulani, his name, you know, very peaceful person that you never could have imagined would meet such a violent end. Um, an incredible, incredible injustice that has affected a lot of people, a lot of people in South Africa, a lot of advocates in South Africa, a lot of human rights activists, even people who didn't know him then knew of him as a result of his death. So I just want to take this moment to share with you that it feels almost wrong to say that we were shattered by this because no one could be more shattered than you and your children and your family. But we did feel a, a, a strong sense of loss as someone who, you know, helped to enrich our own institutions in South Africa, meaning the Constitutional Court. Uh, it was very tough. I couldn't make sense of it. And perhaps that's why I had this desire to talk to you, because I must tell you, one of the things that surprised me about uh, chatting to you over the phone is hearing your very energetic light-filled voice, you know, um, your voice still sounds, you know, so alive, you know, um, what, is, what is that? How are you able to even have this conversation? How are you able to do the work that you're doing, traveling, continuing this work, being able to talk to me, you know, uh, just even your positivity as we were chatting over the phone and your enthusiasm, I thought it would be hard to reach you. I thought you wouldn't want to talk to anyone, um, you know, and I also expected someone who perhaps, you know, um, was not in the position to, to, uh, to attend to these matters at this moment, someone who perhaps needed a break. So how have you kept your spirit? Because I can see your spirit. <laughs> Thank you, Luando, for, for that question. You know, my fighting spirit, I think I get that fighting spirit from Tulani. 
you know, when he was on those leg irons, a prisoner, when he was mistreated, when he he was tortured, when physically he was challenged, but every day he would give you this warm smile to say, what more can they do? They cannot crush my spirit. That was Tulani. And he would always say to me, sweetie, in every negative, in any situation, always try and find the good. Always try and seek the positive. And I would say to him, what is the positive? You are in prison. It doesn't make sense. This is a senseless um, charge. He would say, my being in prison shows that the system of Tingunla in Swaziland, the constitution of 2005, doesn't speak to the honest truth. The constitution is not for the people because if that constitution that guarantees freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, freedom of association, the government was true in valuing those values, I wouldn't be in prison. So hence my being in prison is testament that we still live under an absolute authoritarian, totalitarian state. So for that, we need to continue the fight and we need to expose this regime for what it is. So that spirit, even when they had shot him, even when his brains and brain mass was scattered all over, but his face, you could see that he was saying, is that all you could give me? You, the, this horrible regime was so afraid of Tulani. They feared him. They feared that he used pen and paper. They couldn't stand the truth. So they decided to kill him. But unfortunate to them, what he stood for, what he fought for, his ideals will live on. They can never kill his undying spirit. So that for me is my inspiration. Yes, it is tough. I am a widow. I'm a mother. There's a lot of surveillance going on in terms of the drone, in terms of the security agencies. But I know for a fact that they are afraid of the truth. This horrible regime is afraid of human rights. This horrible regime, like the apartheid, doesn't want to democratize because they fear the will and power of the honest citizen in Swaziland. So that is my driving force, speaking truth to, to power and the deep conviction that Tudani was an honest leader. He fought for the marginalized, so hence they still need justice. So as he sought justice for the marginalized, I am also seeking justice for him. So that is my mode. And that is where I get my strength. Uh, we're going to get to your work in a second. Uh, I just want to know, for a freedom fighter like you, for a justice seeker like you, and for a person who has gone through a lot of trauma, where do you get your support, you know, for anybody else in a similar situation to you, a human rights activist who knows what it's like to have their body, their life, freedom on the line um what are some of the practical things you can share that have strengthened you i know that you get a lot of your inspiration from your husband's legacy but when you're feeling down 
when you imagine the manner in which he was killed, when you think of your children, when you think of your loneliness now, how do you cope? I'm a staunch believer in God. I'm a Christian. I, I believe in the supreme power of God. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in the calmness of the Holy Spirit. I find solace that there is a God somewhere. There's a bigger human being, a supreme person who, when everything happens, he knows, he sees, and he's there. I, I, I find comfort in, 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 in prayer. I, I find a lot of my comfort in, in also music. I love music. I, I listen to different genres. I, I, I have my me time. I meditate a lot. But of course, I think I have an amazing support system. I have my eldest sister who is amazing. My family, very supportive. My in-laws, um, the old men from my community, you know, the Masego family has been amazing. Masego's aunts. Um, but I think also I get my strength from Tulani's closest colleagues. I get my strength from, you know, you'd get a call from someone in the highest sitting office of Amnesty to encourage. You'd get a call from someone from Southern Human Rights Defenders. You would get a call from someone from the Human Rights Foundation. You'd get a call from activists from Lesotho, activists from Zimbabwe, um, a lot of uh, powerful people who have been on the ground. I've got a lot of support, but from the region, from, from SADC, Zimbabwe, I'm mentioning Zimbabwe, because a lot of the support that I got was from colleagues. One of Tulani's colleagues, Arnold Tsunga from Zimbabwe, um, Siposami Malunga, um, Brian Kagoro, those men as lawyers, and your British, British and Tetwas, your Rose Hades, you know, Zimbabwean lawyers for human rights, uh, those colleagues and comrades, uh, your Constance Mukaratis, your Merida Silvers in Swaziland, your Sbusisons in Shabati, your Lucky House to say, stay the cause. We know it is not easy. Stay the cause. We will support you. We will stand with you. We will help you in whatever way. But the Umbrella Organization Southern Human Rights Defenders Network has been my home. It has amplified my voice. And, you know, the Human Rights Foundation in the United States of America has amplified my voice to say there is an injustice in Swaziland. There is a widow. Maybe the government of Swaziland is calling me a loudmouth, a miserable widow. But there are people who are saying this is a human rights defender. She has a right to speak. So um, having your amnesties, having your UNs, you know, supporting, having colleagues on the ground, coming to my home, showing solidarity with Tulani. You know, after his passing, 
a lot of statements, you know, having the, the, the SADC, uh, Troika, um, issuing out statements, the UN representative in Swaziland issuing, uh, solid statements, the American embassy, um, the UK embassy, the Norwegian embassy, having different stakeholders condemning this death. But as that may be, they condemned and then what? Mm. What I hear you say is that, you know, for this work of liberation, um, for this work of making human, human rights real, it cannot be an individual journey. Uh, you need those comrades, you need that community, and you've certainly, you and Tulani uh, uh, made those connections. You built those alliances, and those alliances haven't abandoned you. They're still here. And earlier on, you said that uh, Tulani always reminded you that um, in, in all tragedy, there's a silver lining, there's a light, there is good that can come out of it. What would you say has been uh, the good Dare I say, it's even hard to say, you know, what has been the silver lining? What's been, what's been, what would you, it's very hard to make sense of that. You know, when someone is killed in such an inhumane way to even dare say that at least this is the good that's come out of it. Do you look at it at those terms or you have, you're not quite there yet? <laughs> that's an interesting one. You know, Rando, honestly speaking, it's been difficult. And trying to find, I'm still trying to find the good. I am honestly still trying to make sense of his killing. But I think the good that I find Tulani's killing was that of similar to Chris Honey, was that of um, Martin Luther King. You may have killed Chris Honey, but South Africa got their democracy. They got their, their, their freedom. You may have assassinated Martin Luther King, but black people in America uh, are in power. Black people are recognized. You may kill Tulani. You may think you have silenced Tulani, but Tulani will speak even beyond the grave. We will continue to carry that baton, you know, and I'm sure one day we will have democracy in Swaziland. So I think for me, it's history. History gives me the hope. History is teaching me to say, no matter the cost, no matter the ultimate price, but there is that small light at the end of the tunnel. So for me, I think history is, is, is my greatest teacher to say the, 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 the African has killed so many people which had a lot of innocent civilians. Here we are, of course, we're still not there. It's still not yet Uhuru, but we're able to sit and talk, you know. At least we are trying. Of course, it's been 25 years for you South Africans. Of course, it's still a work in progress. But for us in Swaziland, we, we, we look up to beautiful democracies like the Namibian ones, 
the Namibian democracy, we look at Zambia. Of course, there's a lot going on, but there is that small light to say maybe we'll get there. Maybe we'll have political parties. So for me, history is one teacher and history for me gives me the hope and the light to say, let's push a little bit harder. We will get there. And let me say that, you know, I wouldn't dare use those words of there being a, a silver lining in such a death or that his death is necessary for freedom. But I think what it does, what Tulani's death does is that it really, really provokes our consciousness. You know, I, I really think that it challenges us to live in a way that avenges his death, you know, um, that human rights is not something we just fight for, but something we exemplify in how we treat each other. And I must say, I experienced a, a bit of a shift and awakening uh, in the aftermath of Tulani's death. I, I just couldn't believe that something like that could still happen in, in, in essentially broad daylight. It may have happened at night, but meaning that in front of your eyes, as you said, so brazen where, you know, the king has said this is going to happen and it happened. And you're like, this is our neighbor. Swaziland is our neighbor. You know, I know a lot of friends in Swaziland. I go to festivals in Swaziland. I know that it's an absolute monarch, but I didn't realize it was this brutal. And I guess maybe it's a case of tribalism in my part in that, I know of Tulani's death because he's someone within my community, but it was certainly an entry point to take a closer look at what is happening in Swaziland. And that's why this episode is so important to me. So since then, you, you have channeled your, your energies into founding the Tulani Maseko Foundation. Can you tell me more about what you seek to do through the foundation? Thank you very much, and, 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 and thank you for actually being honest to say South Africa is, is, is Swaziland's neighbor. We rely solely on South Africa, everything and anything for us in Swaziland. Uh, we get it from South Africa, and I must say, I myself, with a couple of, with most Swazis, were quite disappointed with the African National Congress we are quite disappointed in the silence of, of the leadership um, in South Africa. Of course, um, uh, His Excellency Cyril Ramaphosa came in to try and say, Your Majesty, uh, there's a problem, but there's no follow-up and there's no will. We, we do not see the will from you know, the South African government to actually want to tackle our issues honestly, like we did when... South Africa was spanning. You know, we housed South Africans. South Africans studied in Swaziland. Most of the political leaders that hold political positions in South Africa now studied in Swaziland. But can I say that returning the, the favor to us, HRDs? Can I say that doing the same for us, for the colleagues in exile in, in, in South Africa? Are they doing that? Are they really listening to us? They're not. And yes, you ask me a, 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 a very fundamental question to say, um, 
we have established the Tulani Masego Foundation, which is a vision for a better Swaziland where justice prevails. This um, Tulani Masego Foundation seeks to fight for human rights. Um, we seem, we, 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 at our core is to carry on Tulani's legacy, which was for him to fight for political victims, for him to seek truth and justice. That's but one. But number two, um, to advocate for the rights of those um, victims of political violence. Number three, to also hold those perpetrators of those violence accountable. I want to pause there because no one has held His Majesty King Muswati III accountable, not only for Tulani's death, but for the death of the 2021 massacre victims. I mean, I am pausing there because Sadak is mum on the issue of Swaziland. AU is mum on the issue of Swaziland. I don't know how many bodies they want on the streets in Swaziland for them to again send another fact-finding mission to say, okay, what is happening now? How many people are dead? For them to tick those boxes. So it is in the mandate and in the core values of the Tulani Masego Foundation to seek for riches. I actually wanted to, to make this point that you know, um, Mark Hayward, a journalist for the Daily Maverick, wrote an article about Tulani and who is responsible for his death. Um, if our listeners haven't read it, I urge for you to to read it because that's another thing that's set on my conscience, and it's certainly how I I processed or understood his death, and I understood it as it implicated all of us because we are neighbors. And we are uh, uh, interdependent, and that freedom is an interconnected. Uh, um, you know, your freedom is my freedom, as as the saying goes. Um, freedom is interconnected. When a people, you know, uh, uh, in a, in a, in another context, are not free, we are not free. I mean, we see what's happening in Palestine now, and that's you know on our conscious as well. But what is encouraging is seeing people stand up and, and um, you know, uh, decry what's happening in Palestine is that what struck me about um, Tulani's death is that we are all responsible for that outcome because we go to Swaziland, we party in Swaziland, we have business in Swaziland, we have cases in Swaziland as lawyers, and we, we've kind of just accepted that's just how Swaziland is. It's none of our business. And I think that cost, you know, we realize what that cost us um, with, with your husband's death. So I just wanted to make that point that you're right. Uh, we have failed. We not only failed Tulani, but we're failing ourselves, you know, because if we say that we are about the principles that our constitution you know, uh, uh, proclaim. We certainly are not living up to those principles by not paying attention or 
rallying around the cause of freeing Swaziland from this regime. So uh, um, that's definitely the driver of this episode through your story to perhaps awaken others that something is happening just a few kilometers from us and we're not paying attention. Um, thank you, Luando. And of course, um, another mandate for the Tulani Masago Foundation is to support policies and mechanisms um, that will protect human rights defenders. You know, because as we continue to do the work as human rights um, actors, activists, as journalists, as, as, as you know, different actors, uh, as different stakeholders, you know, there's that need for protection because you are speaking out, you're speaking truth to power, you're speaking on the rich, on the powerful, you know, on the people that have influence. So, of course, there's the edge of, of security around human rights defenders. Um, and also what the Tulani Masego Foundation seeks to do is now to tap into the space of women human rights defenders. Because here am I now, after Tulani's killing, I'm left. What happens? Do I decide to sit down and wallow in my misery as a widow? No, I choose to stand up to speak out and fight. But there are other widows who cannot do that. So the Tulani Marcelo Foundation will then be a hub solely for widows and children, for them to get psychosocial support, for them to try and get legal support, you know, after your husband has been killed, there are a lot of issues then then arises. You know, there's the issue of the estate, you know, um, some widows come from rural areas like in Zimbabwe, you have um, widows of, of political activists who are left and there's the question of land, you know, you have your in-laws, the infighting when there's a, now the, the estate sharing different ideas with, with different aspects in the field of law, uh, politics, human rights, um, but also helping in the region. You know, we have a, a political crisis in Zimbabwe ongoing. Um, so the Tulani Masego School of Political Dialogue Program will try to seek uh, answers, to try to seek and get answers of, 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 of how we, we try, we are trying to to attain our democracy. But lastly, and also importantly, a critical point that the Tulani Masego is one of its core values is, is to have an annual summit of traditional leaders um, in, in, in trying to create policy, intellectual space for these traditional leaders to be fully educated on, on what we mean when we speak human rights. So um, the Tulani Masego actually seeks to fight for human rights for all. The, 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 the Tulani Masego Foundation also wants to concentrate on women human rights defenders, but in particular, widows and, and children in terms of providing psychosocial support 
and in also helping them um, with the estates, um, in also helping, you know, there's also the land question uh, in, in us in Swaziland and, and, and in, in Zimbabwe, where as a widow, um, you're now left with this piece of land and this fighting, be it with your in-laws, be it with the chief. So the Tulani Masago Foundation, um, Tulani being the lawyer, will try and seek to help those 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 widows, um, um, we will do public litigation as well. So um, I think yes, it's human rights for the Tulani Masego Foundation. I have no doubt that with your leadership, um, this foundation is going to be incredibly impactful, um, deeply meaningful for the people of Swaziland and beyond. Um, I think this idea of the school for dialogue is so needed, where a lot of people are still turning to violence, where a lot of people don't know any other language other than violence, you know, where we've forgotten how to talk to each other. Um, I, I, I'm I'm going to be uh, keeping... Uh, uh, not tabs, but I will be very much uh, connected to your work because those are all things I believe in. You know, I'd love to support in any way that I can. Um, and, and I'll definitely uh, be following up on that, Danielle. I'll keep in touch with you. As we wind down our conversation, and I hope our, our listeners will also lend a hand to your uh, uh, endeavor, as we wind down our conversation, uh, I want to ask you, what is liberty to you? Um, you know, it certainly, you know, for someone like me who doesn't know how to enter the Swaziland context, I think this foundation um, really becomes, you know, that opening point, that trusted and legitimate uh, um source of really understanding what the fight for freedom is in Swaziland. And um, it becomes, you know, hopefully an institution for many others who would like to support but don't know where to start, where the Tulani Masakawa Foundation could be that first step. Um, and connected to that, what would you say is... Um, the best way right now to show that support, um, you know, for an average listener, you know, who may not be into politics, who may not be an activist, but is moved to want to do something, what is the best way to do that? I think the best way to do that, number one, is, I mean, we live in a digital world. Um, and I think most people are on Twitter, are on Facebook. So um, we will be launching the, the hashtag Justice for Tulani campaign uh, on Twitter. Um, I was in London just two weeks ago where Tulani was honored. He received the Sergio Magnitsky Human Rights Award for Outstanding Lawyer of 2023. I launched uh, the Justice for Tulani campaign. Um, so if, if, if anyone would want, once we've launched it on Twitter, please share, please repost, please uh, share your ideas. That's number one. But number two, um, I think we need to amplify the voice of 
our call as Swazis that we honestly seek democracy. Um, if you come to Swaziland for your different festivals, really get to understand what Swaziland is for who truly Swaziland is. I mean, most of you come from democratic states and you claim to value human rights. So when you come to Swaziland, get the understanding and really support our cause as, as human rights defenders, of, as political activists in amplifying our voice in these platforms. And of course, um, we'll be having, uh, we, I, 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 I am on Twitter, um, we will be also launching the, the, the Tulani Masego Foundation on Twitter. And of course, if there's any form of support, be it technically, um, if the, the professors, researchers who want to come on board in helping us, you know, uh, in any way with, with, with the Tulani Masego uh, political dialogue, that would be much appreciated. I am on Facebook as well. Um, I am on Instagram. So, um, there is the 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 uh, we will be launching the Tulani Masego uh, Foundation website as well. So for for anyone to support in any way best, but it is not about Tulani Masego. It is about the people of Swaziland. Let's his blood water the freedom for the people of Swaziland. And in the spirit of us celebrating um, the the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, I think we owe it to to Tulani to, to and the fallen heroes and heroines of Swaziland to continue to try and uphold the values of the declaration, um, to continue to educate and make this Universal Declaration of Human Rights, a living document. You know, let's let the ordinary men on the street know their rights, understand their rights, and let us make it not just a document for us to keep in our shelves, but let's educate our young kids what we mean when we talk about the beauty of this declaration, where it started, what it means, and how they can, you know, leave this document in terms of how they relate to different people and in terms of how we all relate to each other. So I think we need to make the UDHR a living document and and really understand and appreciate what it says and leave the best that we, we we seek to achieve through 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 these declarations and through the statements that we we are celebrating and commemorating. You know, I'm smiling because you are the for the listeners who can't see you, I can see you. You are holding up the UDHR. You have the booklet. <laughs> you are the only guest yes. <laughs> to have brought it with you and to be holding it in your hands. Thank you for for that visual. It's really important. It's such a a, a meaningful reminder, you know, to see that it's a little booklet, but what it says is is so big. Uh, and just to wind down our conversation now, um, I hope everyone has heard you on how they can best support. I've definitely heard you and I will do my absolute best. As I, I told you, you know, uh, Tulani's death really ignited, uh, um, you know, a, a deep searching 
about uh, what is needed, not just in South Africa, but in our region. I tend to think of South Africans sometimes as very inward looking, as if we're the only ones with problems in the world, as if, you know, uh, (laughs) as if we're the only country that is facing challenges and, um, you know, part of uh, freedom being interconnected is what can we achieve together with our neighbors, whether it's Zimbabwe, whether it's Swaziland, Mozambique and beyond. But unfortunately we've got the scourge of xenophobia here, you know, where a lot of people are intolerant. It is horrible Mm -hmm. considering our history where, as you, you, you told me earlier that uh, Swaziland was a home for South Africans you know, it, it educated South Africans during the apartheid regime. It was a harbor, a safe harbor. It provided refuge. And now when when um, our support is needed, we are turning a cold shoulder. And I hope everyone who's listening to you uh, is, is also awakened to this interconnectedness of our freedom and how we can be stronger together. I guess in in my closing questions, I've got two. What kind of life do you want your children to have in Swaziland? What is your dream for them? (laughs) Ah, that's a beautiful question. Thank you, Luanda, for that question. The kind of Swaziland that I envision for my boys is a free, democratic Swaziland where women would have a voice in decision-making position, where we will have the first prime minister being female and not coming from a royal family, not having royal connection, but a competent, experienced, peace-loving Swazi woman, I hope, who will drive a beautiful Swaziland free Swaziland, a democratic Swaziland where different people can 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 you know work, live where 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 we, we no longer talk of a dilapidating um, horrible health system where we talk of beautiful hospitals where people have the right to education in Swaziland where every child even in the rural area has a right to decent, clean water and food, where everyone has a stake in the decision-making of the country. Because from where I sit now, it is the Laminis, those who support the royal family, they are cohorts, grovelers, and those who seek to pick up the crumbles from that rich table that are benefiting. So I envision a Swaziland where we will have scholarship for, for, for the ordinary Swazi from the Shiseleni region to the Lubombo region where students can have scholarships, education, education for all. I envision a Swaziland where we are able to sit and discuss our issues like human beings and not rule the country using the barrel of the gun. And one day I am sure the horrible Dinkundla system of governance in Swaziland will fall. And I am on that road to fight for justice, for Tulani, for Muzimema, for all political prisoners in Swaziland. 
You know, I usually ask my guests at the end if there is a right that they want to highlight, if there's a human right that they want to see being taken beyond just a declaration, just one other right other than the one we've been talking about today, quite generally of life and security and, and, and liberty. Is there another right that's close to your heart that you hope to see become real, be more than just a declaration in your lifetime? I think for me, um, I'm looking at, at, at the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and I think that two that are outstanding when you speak of the Swaziland context. Article 19, which says everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. This right includes freedom to hold opinions without interference and to seek, receive, and impart information ideas through any media, because the media in Swaziland is censored. So that, for me, the power of information. Article 19, we rely solely on digital media now. So the power of information and the access to information for me is one. But the other one is Article 21, which also stands out um, um, in the Swaziland context. It says everyone has the right to take part in the government of his country directly or through freely chosen representation. Everyone has the right of equal access to public service in his or her country. The will of the people shall be the basis of the authority of the government. This will shall be... And here, the Zimbabwean elections are in question. So I think these two articles, for me, outstand, and we really need to be honest in, 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 in talking about them and in breathing life honestly and practically to them. Well, you know, we've come at the end of our conversation, Danele. You know, um, when we were talking earlier today, you were telling me, of all the traveling you've been doing, you know, to amplify the message, you just come from Namibia. Prior to that, you were in London, you were all over Europe, Norway. On Monday, you're traveling again. And uh, for you to have taken an hour out of your time, knowing that you're a mother of two boys who haven't seen you because you just came back from a trip, and I'm sure you would have rather spent this time with them, but to to honor us with your, 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 your insights for this podcast has been such a privilege for me. I'm glad that we connected. I want to thank you from the floor of my heart for making the time and the space for this podcast. This is the last episode. Thank you very much, Daniele.